But let's look into the Word of God. That's what we really are here for. Romans chapter 10 tonight. Romans chapter 10. And uh, while you're turning there, just a reminder to bridge from last week. Last week we were mainly talking about the fact that God has given us these magnificent promises. And that we need to embrace these promises, live by these promises, because they are such great promises. And God gives them to us to encourage us. And so that's sort of what Romans chapter 9 was about. Romans chapter 10, primarily, if I had to say what is the one theme about Romans chapter 10, it would be that God wants to help us. He's just waiting for us a lot of times to ask. And it's not that God doesn't help us if we don't ask, but a lot of times God may say, look, if you want to run that out by yourself and you want to try to handle that on your own, then I'm going to let you. I'm not going to force my help upon you. But if you would just ask me to help you, I'm here to help you. So that's what I want us all to sort of remember as we walk through Romans chapter 10. Because that's really what Paul is talking to the church at Rome about. Because remember, the book of Romans is written to believing Christians. The church at Rome, made up of Jew and Gentile. And the first eight chapters, a lot of it deals with more Gentile stuff. When he comes to chapter 9, 10, and 11, he is talking a little bit more to the uh, Jewish Christians in Rome. And the reason we know that is because you'll notice, uh, if you have a Bible that does sort of separate it out, that in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is quoting a lot from the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see tonight that Paul quotes the Old Testament probably eight or nine times. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to connect to his Jewish uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and remind them about some of, again, the great promises that God made in the Old Testament and how it ties into you and I today. So again... I don't know what you're dealing with tonight. I know a lot of you are going through some really heavy stuff right now in your life. And even if you're not, you know, probably there's going to come a season here that, that, you know, our faith is going to be tested. We may go through some trials or know of somebody else who is going through trials and suffering. And here's what God wants to remind us all about tonight. Just take these thoughts with you. God is saying to all of us tonight, I want to help you. Just ask me for my help. I'll help. I will help. All right. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul is reminding his Jewish brothers and sisters that he is concerned about the salvation of his Jewish brothers and sisters. And that even though he may have gotten this tag as being anti-Jewish when he became a Christian, he is very much concerned that Jewish People believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And so notice he starts off again with this idea in Romans chapter 10 when he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God on behalf of my fellow Israelites is for their salvation. Paul says, I'm always praying for my Jewish friends and family members and all of that to come to Christ and to find the freedom and the forgiveness that that Christ offers to everyone. He says, I'm praying for you all the time. Let me just encourage you tonight. I'm sure all of us here tonight who are Christians, we know of family members or friends who have not come to that point yet where they know Christ is their Savior. Keep praying for them. It it is never a waste of time to pray for those who don't know Christ yet. And And it just shows God 
how much we love them that we are willing to sort of intercede for them and to care enough about them and their salvation that we are bringing their name before the God of the universe. God, that touches the heart of God. And, and God is doing everything He can to draw them. You've got to believe that. That God is doing everything He can uh, to draw them to Himself and to bring them to Him. You keep praying. You keep hoping. As long as they're alive, as long as you're alive, you keep praying for those folks in your life that don't know Christ yet. And when God gives you the opportunity to maybe share Jesus with them, give, ask God for the courage and the wisdom to, to have the right words to say when those opportunities present themselves. But then notice what Paul says in verse 2. He says, Here, though, is the problem with my Jewish brothers and sisters. I can testify that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. And there's the problem. That we can be sincere. Just like Paul saying, hey, I don't doubt the sincerity. I don't doubt the zealousness. I don't doubt the passion of my Jewish brothers and sisters. But they're sincerely wrong. Because... They have all this great enthusiasm for God and for the things of God, but they're not willing to come His way. They're not willing to marry both what is needed, which is a passion for God and the truth of God, and bring those together. And there's a challenge for us. You see, God wants both. In fact, Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4, He says, My Father is looking for true worshipers. Those who will worship Him in spirit, having that inward reality, and in truth. That's what God's looking for. The balance there. You know, it's great that we can get excited about God. And we should. We should get passionate about God. I know I have a problem. I need to get a little bit more excited about God and about His Word. But at the same time, it would do me no good to be very excited about what God is doing in my life and what God can do in your life and through His Word if it's not according to truth. There has to be both there. And so God is just saying, make sure that we're balancing out our passion for God with the truth of God. And here's what Paul goes on to explain what he means by that by amplifying that in verse 3. Because notice what the Jewish folks were doing. For the most part, they were ignoring the righteousness that comes from God, which we understand that's through the offer of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and seeking instead to establish their own righteousness. Therefore, Paul says they did not submit to God's righteousness again. They had all this enthusiasm for God, but they weren't willing to do it God's way. And God says, I don't care how excited you get about me, you still have to do it my way. Now, if you do it my way, you do it according to truth, and you get excited, boy, it doesn't get any better than that. Man, God will bless. When He sees a life that is committed to truth and passion for Him, there's no telling what God can do through that. There's no telling what God can do through a church like Cornerstone when Cornerstone says our value is we want to live according and, and teach and preach the truth of God, and we also want to get excited about it as well. There's no telling what God can do with a group of people that have that kind of attitude. But see here again, they wanted to come their way. And God says, no, no, it's not in us developing our own rules. It's, it's, it's in submitting to the things that God has already laid down. 
In fact, it's a beautiful picture in verse 3 of really what I call the difference between a relationship with God and how we need to come to God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto the Father but by me and religion. Because to me, religion is where I'm trying to establish my own righteousness. I'm trying to make myself acceptable to God. I'm trying to live by the golden rule and I'm trying to obey the Ten Commandments and I'm trying to to do enough good deeds to make God happy with me. That's religion. And God isn't about religion. God is about a relationship. God says you and I can never attain a relationship with Him by adhering to the law and by trying to be good enough because we'll always fall short. It's only through accepting Jesus Christ and His righteousness That we come God's way. And so again, I want to just point this out at the end of verse 3. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, there comes that point where we've got to do it God's way. And we've got to submit to the way God wants it done. There is that temptation in all of us, even as Christians, to say, God, I'm going to do it my way. And God will let us do it our way if that's the way we're choosing to do it. But then God says, I'm not going to help you, and I'm not going to bless you in that way. Now, if you do it my way, I'm all over it. I I will bless you. I will help you. I will enable you. I, I will do whatever it takes to keep you going down the right path. But if you're saying, no, God, I got a better idea. I'm going my own way. Then God says, fine, do it. And that's exactly what Paul said had happened to many people in the Jewish nation. They weren't willing to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Now, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law with the result that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, the correct goal or role of the law was actually to lead people to Christ. But many people turned what God had intended the law to be used for as a works-based salvation process. And what that reminds us of is simply, when God gives us a tool, let's make sure we're using the tool for how God intended for it to be used, because if not, we're, we're going to really mess things up. Uh, it's like any tool. You know, if you use the right tool for the right job, it can make things so much easier. Let me just tell a story on myself. I am all not like the home improvement guy, all right? Any of you that know me know I'm more the book person, and, and if, actually if there's something to fix around the house and stuff, usually Lisa does it, okay? Uh, you know, screwing in the light bulb, that kind of stuff. Well, we're always, one of our traditions in our family is we always like to get a real Christmas tree. And one year, instead of having the proper tools to cut the tree down and to bring it in and, and all of that, I was trying to do it with a steak knife. I'm not even going to go into what kind of fiasco that was that evening of trying to first cut the tree down with a steak knife and then, you know, sort of getting it, you know, shaped to where it could fit into the tree stand there and everything. If I would have had the right tool, it would have been so much easier. All right. Now, here's the thing. God said, I gave you the law and there's nothing wrong with the law. We've seen that through our study of Romans. The law's good, but the law was never intended to be used to try to live up to, to build a relationship with God. 
The law was given to show us we can't live up to that law in order to have a relationship with God. We need, we need a Savior. That's where Jesus comes in. Then, after I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, the law or the principles of God's Word, the commands and all these things that we study, what that helps is then after I know Christ and after I accept His righteousness, then all these principles help me to live a life pleasing to God. But it's not intended to get me to God. It's after I get to God, how I can live a life, in a sense, distinct from the rest of the world. How a child of God should live. If I am fathered by God, then just like my children, you know, they should have some kind of characteristics from their parents. Because we're their mom and dad. And whether it's some characteristics of what they look like or how they act, and that's sad for my children. But anyway, uh, those of you that already know who my son is know he looks just like me. You know, they call him the mini Jeff. But it's just amazing the characteristics that our children have. Well, God says, look, if I fathered you, if you're one of my children through the new birth in Jesus Christ, you should begin to bear some characteristics and manifest some of those characteristics outwardly. And the law and the principles in God's Word and all of those things then will help sort of flesh those out. That was the intent. Because when Christ came, as He says here in verse 4, He furnished the righteousness that we need to have a relationship with God. The law was never intended to do that. So again, let's just be careful that we don't have a zeal without balancing it out with truth. And let's also be careful that when God gives us tools that we're using those tools for what God intended those tools to be used for. Because if not, we're going to be just as frustrated as trying to cut down a tree with a steak knife. It, It doesn't work. It's not what God intended. Now, because God gave Israel the law in the Old Testament, they didn't have to search and grope to find what God wanted them to do. It wasn't like they had to to go through this big deciphering of God's will and to go to great extremes in order to know what God wanted them to do. God was saying to them, I've clearly revealed to you what I expect of you as a people and as a nation. And God was saying the same thing to the Roman Christians through Paul. And he's saying the same thing to you and I tonight. Follow with me from verse 5 on. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we preach. Now again, in order to get really the full context of what Paul is saying, I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, I'm sure it has, where these Old Testament quotations were taken from. And go back to like these passages later on tonight or sometime this week and study them. But here's basically what was going on in the Old Testament that Paul's quoting from. Again, God's people were saying, we don't know what God wants us to do. And and it's almost like God is so far away and he doesn't really care. Going back to some of the message on Sunday, does God really care about my life? And if God cares, can he help me? Will he help me? He's such a distant God. He's so far away. And that's why Paul uses these quotes from the Old Testament about the analogy of 
Do I have to somehow search for God and go up there into heaven and beg him to come down to help me? Or do I have to go down into the deepest part of the abyss of, of the ocean and the depths and try to, again, beg him to come up somewhere and help me? And, and Paul's saying, no. The word of help and assistance, he says, notice, very key, verse 8, is near you. In fact, it is in your mouth and in your heart. Paul is saying to the Roman Christians, any excuse for not obeying God is out of the question. Christ has come. Christ has clearly revealed what God is expecting of his people. And not only that, but divine assistance is always available to help. And that's the key point of the whole passage. That every time we need help, God is going to be there to help us. And if we say, God, I'm, I'm having an anger problem, help me, God will help. If, if I'm having a, a struggle with worry and anxiety and I say, God, I need help, and I, God will help. Because the word is near. We don't need to try to decipher. We know what God, if we truly want to know what God is expecting, God will reveal it clearly. And God says this. Here's the cool thing. I'm not only going to tell you what I want you to do and what your life is to look like in order for you and I to get the most out of life, but I'm going to help you do it. I mean, you can't beat that. So I never have to like, well, God's not going to really be clear about what he expects. And then even if I do finally figure it out, I can't do it. No, we're right. We can't do it, but we can always do it through God. So then you'll notice he begins in verse 9 to talk about the fact that if we really believe that divine assistance is always available and that God will always help us, if we really believe that, then we will begin to call upon God for help. Now, I realize for many of you in this room, especially if you've been Christians for many, many years, you've heard of the Romans road. And you've seen the book of Romans used to lead people to Christ. And many times they'll go through the book of Romans. And many times they'll come eventually to Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 in leading someone to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Because obviously, they're looking for God to help them. And His help is available to them. But I want you to see tonight that in the context, and to be technical about this, that again, the book of Romans is primarily not written to non-Christians, it's written to Christians. And in this context, all these Old Testament verses were verses quoted out of the Old Testament where Israel was looking for earthly help. Not for salvation, not for the forgiveness of sins, but they were in a pickle. They were in a predicament. They needed God to deliver them in some kind of earthly thing that had overcome them. Whether it was an addiction, a bad habit, something. And they were saying, God, I believe that you can help me. And now I'm asking you, please help. So notice what Paul says. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and with your mouth, believe that Jesus will, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, delivered. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. If I believe Jesus is Lord, 
and I believe he does want to help me and he will help me, then with my mouth, I will use my mouth to be asking for his divine assistance. And I will be saying, God, deliver me. Help me with this. Come, you know, come alongside. Aid me, please. And again, Paul says, God will be there. He will be there. But here's the thing. I've got to really believe it. I've got to believe it. Because if I don't really believe God wants to help me or will help me, then I probably won't call on him to help me. I've got to first see the marriage here between what I believe and, again, the way I live. And that's, what the, that's one of the big biblical principles that runs throughout the Bible. Because if I truly believe something, it will affect the way I live. I mean, I can say, yeah, I believe, I believe this. I be, going back to say the message Sunday, I believe in life after death. I believe in eternity. I, I believe that there, there is a heaven. But if my life is all about laying up just treasure on the earth and not laying up any treasure in heaven, then I think God would challenge my belief. And God would say, well, Jeff, you're saying you believe in heaven, but your life is not living like you believe in heaven. Because if you really believed in heaven, then you would be laying up treasure in heaven rather than just on the earth. You see, God is saying... What we believe and how we live should be consistent. And that if I truly believe it in my heart, then it's going to reflect it out in the way I live my life and how it's so. If I believe God will help me, then I should be calling on him to help me all the time, all throughout the day. And let me just say that one of the things that God has been teaching me throughout my Christian life is it's okay to ask God for help a billion times during the day. In fact, maybe for some of you this may sound weird, but the, the stronger maybe I grow in the Lord and the more mature I get in God, I actually ask for His help more. I ask for God's help more now as a 30-plus year old Christian who's been in the ministry 23 years than I did when I first became a Christian. I think because I know I need His help more. And hopefully, the closer I get to God, I realize, yeah, I need His help even more and I realize even more how much God wants to help me. So throughout the day, I'm always throwing up what I call these flare prayers to God. God, help me with this. And God, help me with that. And God, do this. You know, I mean, you know, I have maybe people come into the office or counseling or whatever, and they'll share something that's going on in their life. And I'm going, God, I have no clue. Please help me. You know, direct me to the right scriptures. Give me the wisdom from you because I don't want it to be my opinion. That doesn't matter at all. I want it to be something that truly helps them. Only your word is going to help them, Lord. So you direct me to the right passage to give them. I have, I have to have God's help. We all do. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. Just getting God's help. Now notice verse 11. This Old Testament verse was written in a time when Jerusalem was trusting in other gods to deliver them from the Assyrian invasion. And Paul encourages believers to rely on God for help when he says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You'll never regret asking God for help. He will always be there on time, maybe not early, but on time, with the help that we need. I mean, he, he's just there. We can always count on God. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying to the Jewish nation, do you remember back in the Old Testament when you were trusting in the Assyrians to protect you? 
instead of looking to God to protect you? You know how disastrous that was? It was so disastrous that God said, you're looking to other nations to protect you rather than me. And, and they were so idolatrous. They were looking to idols to protect them at that point in their history rather than God. And God said, okay, if that's the way you want it, then I'm just going to turn you over to these other nations. And that's when they went into exile. And God allowed these other nations to sort of take them away from their homeland to the other nations, what the book of Daniel is about. God, Paul is saying, don't do that. Every time you trust and believe in God, you will never regret it. Four, verse 12. There is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. I love this phrase. I marked it in my Bible. For the same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. Wow, don't miss that tonight. If there's a verse or a phrase that just sort of grabs you tonight, I hope it's that one. That God is the Lord of all and he is going to richly bless all who call on him. For notice what verse 13 says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, proper context, these verses are talking about the nation of Israel when it needed help and how they were being encouraged to look to God for help rather than idols or other nations and saying, God will help you if you just call upon him. I hope tonight, whatever you're going through right now in your life, or maybe whatever you're going to face this coming week or this coming month, maybe you don't even know what it is yet, that when you get there, that all of us are reminded, you know what? God's my help. I, he's the God of the universe. There's nothing too big for him. He's a big God. He can help me with anything. God, could you help me with this? He will. And you won't regret calling upon him for help. In fact, let me share a couple verses from the Old Testament with you. Psalm 116 verse 2 says this. The psalmist says, as long as I live, I will call to him when I need help. I love that. As long as I live, David says, I will call on him when I need help. Psalm 116 verse 2. And then here's a verse that probably many of you know. Uh, Jeremiah 33 verse 3. God says, call on me in prayer and I will answer you. I will show you great and mysterious things which you still do not know about. God says, call on me. I'll answer you. I'll show up. I'm never busy. You know, I'm, I'm not on another line. I'm not out talking. You know, I will give you my full undivided attention. Now, again, I can't explain that. God is so bigger than I. I don't know how God can give all of us undivided attention at the same time. I don't know how he does that, but he does because he's God. And, and he can give you undivided attention to deal with your life, your problems, your situation, and, and aid you and help you with whatever. He just wants you to call upon him. James says, we have not many times because we ask not. And God doesn't want us to live one more day struggling through something that we're trying to do ourselves whenever the God of the universe is just up there going, hey, uh... I'll help. Just ask. You know, that's all God's looking for. And then I love verse 14. How are they to call on one they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in one they have not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news? 
You see, carrying the message that God wants to help you and will help you and can help you. And all you have to do is that's up to us who know that we've been helped by God to carry that message to others and say, God can help you. God can deliver you. God can help you with whatever problem, struggle, situation. God's the answer. Going back to the series before read, the Bringing Sexy Back series. One of the reasons why that series was done is Pastor Lynn and others realized that a lot of people struggling in that area. And one of the things that they wanted to accomplish through that series was saying, if you're struggling that area, bottom line, God's your answer. God's your help. You know, whatever you're struggling with, God's the answer. And that's what we try to do at this church. Whatever a person is struggling with, whatever they're addicted to, whatever they're dealing with, whatever's holding them back from being all that God created them to be, whatever's robbing them of their joy, all of that, all we're saying is look to God. He's the one who can deliver, who can save, who can help. And then those of us who've experienced his help in our lives, it's our responsibility then to go out there to the world and to meet up with people and say, Do you know what God did for me when that opportunity presents itself? That's why I was so thrilled Sunday that God gave me the opportunity. Someone who has struggled in my life for so many years with anxiety and worry. I I thought, you know, God, you have a sense of humor. Uh, Again, certainly not glad for why I was up there because that meant Ron's grandfather was gravely ill. But it was no accident that that fell out because it was like God said, Jeff, I've helped you through your worry and anxiety. Now you get up there and you tell other people how God can help them with their worry and anxiety or with whatever they're dealing with. You remind them that I am the God who's bigger than anything in their life. That's our responsibility as Christians. When God working in our life and we're beginning to make progress and we're seeing God help us overcome things and and see victory in our life, whether it be, and we've got some great things happening. I mean, celebrate recovery, all these different things. When people begin to see the power of God unleashed in their life and they begin to see God work, guess what God says? Now you go and tell somebody what I'm doing in your life. You encourage them because they may be at a point like I was at one time in my life. I was so discouraged and depressed. Honestly, it was like, God, just end it. I I don't even want to go on a day. I I don't want to live one more day like this. Worry and anxiety totally paralyzed my life. It reduced my life to where I didn't even want to go out of the house. That's what Jeff Royce's life was like. My life is very different now. And the only answer to that is the power of Jesus Christ. And if the power of Jesus Christ can do that in my life, he can do that in your life as well. That's what this is all about. In fact, I love what Paul says here in verse 15. How timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news. Did you ever notice how sometimes when God begins to work in your life and and work through some things in your life, how God will bring other people into your path who may be struggling with the very same thing? And how timely it is that either you got with somebody or somebody got with you and how God brought your paths together so that either they could share encouragement with you or you could share it with them. That's what he's talking about here. That only God can do those things. We have so many people who they come off the street to Cornerstone. Nobody even invited them. And they're like, yeah, we've been driving by the church. We just thought we'd show up. Well, no, no, no. 
not really. God was drawing you here. How timely is that? And, and here's what I, I want to point out. Again, this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament was quoted when Israel was in exile. And what was happening was the other nations were saying, well, Israel, your God isn't powerful. Look at you. You're, you're, in, you're in bondage to another nation. You're in slavery to another nation. Your God, even if He exists, He's not powerful. He can't help anybody or anything because if He could help, you wouldn't be in this predicament. And if you study the context of how timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news from that Old Testament passage, the very next phrase is, our God reigns. God reigns in spite of the condition of His people. You see, it wasn't God's fault or the powerlessness of God or the fact that God couldn't help that Israel was in exile. It was because of their unfaithfulness, their unbelief, their disobedience that they were there. It wasn't God. It wasn't a reflection on God. God was reigning all the time His people were in slavery. And God was there to help and deliver them out of the bondage that they were in. Whether it was individual bondage or national bondage, all they had to do was call upon Him. Same thing is true for you and I. We may be in bondage to something tonight or something may have grabbed, grabbed a hold of our life and just constricting us like that boa constrictor and wrapping us up. We don't have to be there. And just because we are in that condition, that's no reflection on our God. When I was in the, the worst part of my struggles with anxiety and worry, that wasn't a reflection that my God was powerless. That was the fact that I had gotten to such a weak place in my spiritual life that I was not believing and trusting in God and calling on Him for His help like I should have been. God reigns. And God reigns tonight. And God is on the throne. And God is the God of the universe who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And He can help you and I with anything that we need Him to help us with. Let's just call upon Him tonight. Now, verse 16. But not all have obeyed the good news. Not all obeyed the fact that deliverance could come and help could come. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And again, if you go back to Isaiah 52 and 53, the context of this is, why didn't they believe? Because God wasn't going to do it their way. God was doing it His way, and they didn't like His way. His way was that deliverance was going to come through a humble servant. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Who wasn't going to come to earth in all this pomp and circumstance and say, yeah, I'm God and I'm taking over and I'm throwing off the Roman yoke and I'm going to establish Israel as the, you know, the nation that leads everything. No, no. Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served. Jesus Christ came that time to lay down his life, to go to the cross, to die. That's the way Jesus Christ, that's the way the... And, and Israel was like, ah, that, that doesn't sound good to me. I, I don't want to follow a God who's just laying down his life instead of not overthrowing the Romans and the oppression that we're under. And so because God didn't do it their way, they missed it. Again, sort of going back to what Paul said at the beginning, let's be careful that in trying to establish our own way of doing things, we miss the way God wants to do it. Because like there, many people missed when Jesus Christ came. The Lord of glory came to Bethlehem. And most of the people in the nation of Israel 
missed it. Because they didn't come the way they expected a king, God, should come. He came His way. Came His way. And so that's, not why, that's why they didn't believe. But notice verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the preached Word of Christ. And what this verse is just reminding us of again in the context is this. My faith to be delivered can be strengthened by hearing reports of others whom God has delivered. That's why this verse is so key in this passage of Scripture. Because again, it reminds us that all of us as Christians who've been delivered by God, who are being delivered by God, who are being helped by God, we need, when we get the opportunity, to take that message to others because through our story and through sharing our story and maybe even sharing our scars, we can encourage other people. We can give them hope. There have been many times in my life where I have sat across from someone that I looked in their eyes and I could see the hopelessness. I mean, you can, just, you can see people when they're... You can see it in their eyes. No wonder they they say that the window of the soul are are the eyes. Because you can see the hopelessness in people. And it was so cool, though, to see how God could use me to share my story. And the, the, the things that God did in my life to bring hope to them. That's what he's saying in verse 17. That faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through what Christ has done in my own life. And so again, God wants all of us to take the responsibility very seriously that when God's doing a work in our life, let's share it when we get those opportunities. Let's tell others what God is doing. Because in doing so, we can so encourage other people. So encourage other people. With, and I mean, it can be tough stuff. I've shared with many of you my family story. I'm just going to share it very quickly tonight. How my parents, I'm an only child. I grew up an only child, but I actually had a brother and sister who died before I was born of a rare blood disease. My brother was four. My sister was three. They died in the late 50s of what now is called Neiman-Picks disease. My mom and dad, losing those two children, were not... They were advised by the doctors, don't have any more children because we don't know what's causing this and we don't want to see you lose a third child. My parents prayed about it and they really felt like God wanted them to try one more time. And I always say, I'm glad they did. I was known in our town as the prayer baby because everybody in my small town back in Maryland knew what my parents had been through by losing two children and they did not want to see my parents go through it a third time. I've always felt like I probably had more people praying for me even before I was born than a lot of times probably people do after they were born. But the cool thing is this. Instead of getting bitter against God, my parents received the grace of God and they turned that terrible tragedy of losing two children into a ministry. And they would be able to sit across from other parents So the only way that they could connect with them is those parents knew the pain and my parents knew the pain and they could share that together. And and there was a strength knowing that my parents could look across from them and go, I know what you're going through because I've been through it twice 
And I'm here to tell you that as hard as it is to lose a child as a parent, God can get you through. God can get you through. That's verse 17 in action. That's taking what God has done in our lives and being able to encourage others by saying, God can help. God can get you through. God's grace is sufficient. And all of us. And that's why many of us have so many different experiences with God. And so many different ways that God has worked in our life. Because there's so many different people with so many variables and various things that they've struggled with and are struggling with. And God's going to match you and I up with those people and bring our paths together and cross our paths so that we can be used by God as His instruments to encourage and give hope and tell people, our God's the God that you need to look to for that help. Verse 18, but I asked, Paul says, have they not all heard? Yes, they have. You see, some might have objected. Well, Israel didn't really understand. They didn't really hear what God expected. But Paul sort of shuts that down. Israel heard and they understood the problem with the nation of Israel as a whole is they did not believe. So then Paul says in verse 19, but again, I asked, didn't Israel understand? Yes, they understood, but they didn't believe. You see, there's a difference between hearing with my ears and believing in my heart. And therefore, God was going to seek those who would believe. If Israel wasn't going to believe, then I'm going to seek those who will believe. And I'm so glad he did. And so that's what verse 19 and 20 is all about. In fact, notice Isaiah says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became well known to those who did not even ask for me. But I love the way Paul ends chapter 10. Because he reminds us that even like Israel, when we turn our backs on God, and when we don't submit to God, and when we don't do it God's way, and when we walk away from God for a time in our life, God never walks away from us. He continues to go after us and to reach after us and to try to draw us to himself. Because notice what God says, quoting again another Old Testament verse in verse 21. But about Israel, he says, all day long, I held out my hands to this disobedient and stubborn people. All day long. I think about that in the context of my own life. How those many years I was struggling with anxiety and worry I wasn't believing and trusting in God like I should have been. I wasn't calling on Him for help. I sort of had said, God, I'm going to deal with this myself. I don't need your help. Even though I wasn't going anywhere. And you know what God's reaction was? It wasn't, well, God, Jeff, if that's the way you're going to be, fine. I'm walking away. Never. God continued to reach out to me and say, Jeff, whenever you're ready... Whenever you hit rock bottom, whenever you've had enough time of struggling and trying to deal with this on your own, and you get to a point where you're calling on me, I'll be right there. Going back to what Paul has said throughout Romans chapter 10. The word is near. It's in our mouth. It's in our heart. If we just believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that He wants to help us, that He can help us, that He will help us, then we're going to call on Him and ask Him to help and the moment I asked Jesus Christ to help me, Jesus Christ was right there. He was right there. And that's a message we need to get out to people too. Because aren't there people all around, and maybe some even here tonight, 
You drifted away from God. Maybe you walked away from God. And then you sort of struggle with, will God ever take me back? Will God ever accept me back? Will, will God ever restore me? Will God ever be able to use me all this? The answer is an unequivocal yes. Yes. There is no question. God will throw His arms around any of us and say, come on back. Welcome back. Now let's just move on. And for those of you, like myself, that may have had like a, a time in our life where we had sort of a spiritual hiccup, and we didn't do very well, one of the things that God kept encouraging me with was this, Jeff, it's not as important how you start the race as it is how you finish it. And now that you're back in the race and you're back on track, just commit your life, the rest of your life, to just following me and let's end this race well. And don't worry about the time and don't dwell on the time you got off the track and you, you know, threw in the towel in the race. Just focus on finishing well. That's what God, God is here to say, I don't care how you started the race with me, but now let's get back on track and let's move forward in our relationship with God. All right. We've got a few minutes. I'm going to ask Mike, if you wouldn't mind taking this mic. Peter, could I ask you to take that mic? If any of you have any questions, we've got mics so that everybody can hear and I can hear. They'll get these mics to you. Just ask, ask away. We've got a few minutes to ask some questions and they'll take the mics around. We'll do this like Letterman, okay? All right, over here. I was just curious... Um... We were talking tonight, you know, we, Jesus says, ask anything in my name. And, uh, but I think it's in the Gospel of John where Jesus takes it one step further and he says, uh, ask anything in my name and it will be done according to my Father's will. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if that, is that in the same context that we're talking about here, even though that's not said? Yes, because that's a great question. And I think it is because we're looking here tonight in this passage, in the context of this passage, is being delivered from something that's a barrier between me and my God. And there is no doubt that it's God's will, and we don't ever have to question that, that God wants to remove anything from my life that's coming between me and Him. Now, there's other things in my life. And again, yeah, then we have to sort of like Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians, where it was a physical thing. And Paul goes to God and says, God, will you remove this? And God said, no, it's not my will that I remove that. It's more important that you learn to rely on my strength and in my grace to overcome that every day. Because God in his wisdom knew that that thorn in Paul's flesh was actually going to be for Paul's greater spiritual good than if he would remove it. And those are those times, and that's a great question, where we have to leave those things that we're not sure to God's wisdom because God knows what's best for me spiritually. I don't. But there's clearly things in my life, like, for instance, Israel's idolatry, Israel trusting in other nations to save them rather than God, my worry and anxiety that were clearly being barriers to me and God and me to other people, And there's no doubt when those things come into my life, whether they be some kind of addiction or stubborn habit or whatever, that's keeping me from being all that God created me to be, 
then I have no doubt praying, God, I know you want to remove this because this is a barrier between me and you. Great question, though. And we do need to make that distinction. Other questions? Okay, over here and then we'll get to... Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Mine's not a question. No, that's okay. Just a comment. I just wanted to kind of share my testimony this week about going to God and asking for his help and um, being in this housing market and economy than I am in my profession. I really had to turn to God and just ask him for his help. And I always, you know, there's that fear of being specific and saying, you know, it's so much easier just to say, you know, God, you know, whatever your will is. And what I've really learned is that it's okay to go to God and tell him your needs. He knows your needs. Amen. And he's okay hearing that. And then having that opportunity to go to him and be specific gave me an opportunity to, be, to share that testimony with my children this week. And, you know, we did our family dinner, and I was able to sit down with our kids and share what we did that day. And I said, well, you know, as a team at work, we prayed. And we asked God to, that he knows our heart and that just to help us, you know, survive this and be strong and do the right things and say the right things and help people who are also struggling in this time. And so I just wanted to share my testimony this week that God has answered those prayers. And Amen. And it's been a blessing in our life. Thank you for that. And, yeah. And uh, you brought up a great point. Just two things. We'll get back here. The example that we are, not just to our children, but to others. And, and I'll just say, and I've shared this with you. I ask God for help a bazillion times a day. I have never had God go, well, oh, Jeff, that's the one billionth time today. I can't help you any more than that. I've never, I've never had God turn me down when I went to, I think God wants to help Jeff Royce more than Jeff Royce realizes God wants to help. Okay. Back here. Jeff, I just have a, a question. As one of those old um, Roman highway followers. Right. The Romans Road. Yeah. Right. The Roman highway, the Roman road. Are you saying that if we use Romans 10, 8 through 10 as a salvation verse, we're taking it out of context? No. No. I, I think, again, that Romans chapter 10 is perfectly acceptable to be used to bring someone to salvation because it's dealing with being delivered. It's dealing with God helping someone. And obviously the ultimate help that any of us can get is forgiveness of sins and being brought into a relationship with God. I just think that we need to also understand as we grow in our understanding of God's Word that though we can use it like that, that in the context here, that it's more applicable to non-salvation deliverances and help throughout my life as a Christian rather than being applied to a non-Christian. Sort of like the verse in uh, Revelation 3.20 about I stand at the door and knock that a lot of times we've used to lead people to Christ. Again, in that context, it's more applicable that Jesus is looking to get into the church. <laughs> He's sort of like he's outside of his own church and he's looking to be invited in by his own people, not to be invited in by somebody that doesn't know him. But that doesn't mean we can't use that as well. OK, but good, good questions. Yes. One more. Because I want to leave you guys out on time because I want you to keep coming back. I feel privileged to get this twice. Um, I've had someone approach me about um, 
Jews and converted Jews, and I didn't know how to answer the question. Um, I know Jews don't believe in Jesus Christ, but converted Jews or Christian Jews do. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So what do um, Jewish people, obviously they don't sacrifice like in the Old Testament. So I, I, I'm, I guess I don't know the answer to tell that person of what the difference between Jew and uh, Christian Jews. Any Christian believes by faith that Jesus Christ is the answer, and they've accepted him by faith, Jew or Gentile. A Jewish person who has not accepted Christ or has not acknowledged Jesus as their Messiah, they are still basing their salvation on some kind of works-based salvation. And even though they are not physically sacrificing, as they did in the Old Testament, they would tell you that they are offering spiritual sacrifices. The problem with that is, even in the Old Testament Scriptures, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The book of Leviticus makes that very clear. And that is why, within Orthodox Judaism, there is a movement to reinstitute the sacrificial system. And that's why in prophecy, in books like Daniel, Revelation, Zechariah, and Joel, and others, the sacrificial system is very close to being reinstituted in the nation of Israel. If you keep up with what's going on in the Middle East, and even in underground Israel right now, they are developing and formulating a priesthood. Uh, they are having the garments made for the high priest and for the priest. And all of that is falling into line with prophecy. Because very soon, I believe you're going to see Israel begin to start talking about that. And I realize we don't know exactly how that's going to fall in line with the Temple Mount and rebuilding their temple and all of that. But that's all part of predictive prophecy that's going to be part of the last days where they will go back to the sacrificial system. Great question. Guys, let me just end with this. God can help. God wants to help. God will help. Let's just call upon Him for help. And let's just remember how much God wants to help us throughout our day. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for encouraging us, Lord, to just call upon You. God, You remind us that any time we call upon You, we are never put to shame. We are never disappointed. And God, I just pray that throughout our days and throughout our weeks and our months and our years as we walk with You, that God, we would just learn, even experientially, how much You really love us and how much You never want us to walk through this life on our own, in our own power, strength, wisdom, effort, whatever. That God, You always want us to walk each and every step in the power of the Holy Spirit. You just upholding us and just booing us up and carrying us along. And, and God, I just pray tonight that all of us would just capture that and just truly just believe in our hearts just how much You want to help us and remove those things in our life that's keeping us and holding us back from being all that You want us to be and You created us to be. God, just take us from this place tonight, just re-energized and just encouraged by the great God that You are and by the help that You can provide. And just remind us of these things in the week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. Yes, real quick.
the commitment to learning God's Word during the week has grown. Lisa just informed me that we went from 252 last week to 288 people tonight. Very good. There you go, folks. Thank you very much. Yeah. 288. Guys, have a great week. I love you. Take care. We'll see you next Tuesday. Romans 11.